um, that'll last three weeks, how we got the book. How we got the book. Everybody grab your Bible and hold it up. All right, have you ever wondered how you got it? Have you ever wondered how God gave us this book? And it's going to lead into a series on the first 11 chapters of Genesis that we're going to begin on January 27th. But I've got to first uh, tackle the issue of the inspiration of the Bible. For instance, is this just a book with some of the words of God in it? Is it a book with some good ideas about God? Or is this book the very God-breathed Word without error? Well, we're going to talk to you about what inspiration means. How in the world did God move on people to write this book? Was it like, you know, automatic writing and they fell into some kind of a trance and were moved by an angel's hand to write like that? And uh, was it that way? Or how did it take place? Well, we're going to go over that. And we're going to give you the notes like we did with the um, Revelation series so that you will have, by the time we're done, you're going to have a book. And it's going to have the notes on how we got the book. And then on the first four major events in Genesis. And here's why I'm going through Genesis. Because if you can't answer the issues that come up from Genesis, like the creation, the fall of man, the flood, the Tower of Babel, if you can't answer that, then you're not going to be able to really defend the faith in a skeptical age. Uh, people just don't believe Genesis anymore. At least a lot of people don't. Of course, we do. But we're going to put the tools in your hand. So that's this Wednesday night, how we got the book. It's interesting. It's fascinating. Don't miss it. If you can be here on Wednesday night, be here. There's nothing on that tube at home, not one thing. Are you going to miss? But you'll learn the Word of God. And if you'll let me, I'm going to establish you in the truth where when somebody talks to you about the faith, you can defend it. Amen? All right, let's stand together. And uh, I want to talk to you today about unity. Can everybody say unity with me really loud? Unity. Unity, uh, The anatomy of unity. And I'm going to be on this for a couple of weeks because I believe this is what the Spirit of God gave me for the new year. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, and I want you to read it with me. And then we're going to preach to each other a little bit. Are you ready? Strive earnestly to guard the unity of the Spirit in the binding power of peace. Now look at your neighbor and tell him that means you. Now you're going to get to preach some today. That means you. That verse is not to preachers. That church is to the body, or that verse is to the body of Christ. It's not to preachers. Strive earnestly, every one of you are to strive earnestly to guard, protect, watch over the unity of the Spirit in the binding power of peace. Now, here's another powerful verse from the Word of God from Psalms 133. And look what he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together fighting. I'm sorry, I misread it. Let me back up and try that again. Behold how good. And how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? Now, what happens when there's unity in a place? Read this out loud with me. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing forevermore. Even life forevermore. Father, thank you for your word today and bless it to our hearts. And I thank you for unity on the house. In Jesus' mighty name. 
Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. And let me just say that I'm not preaching this because there's a problem in the house. I'm preaching this preemptively, like sort of taking a flu shot before flu season so that you don't catch it when it comes. And I want to share with you on the power of unity today some very powerful, powerful uh, principles on unity. Everybody in here needs it. We all need unity. Unity is the secret strength of anything that requires the involvement of more than one person towards a common goal. Now, if you've got a family today, you've got to have unity in that family. If you're married, you know you've got to have unity in that marriage. If you're on a sports team in a church and you are in a church or a business enterprise, it doesn't matter. There has to be unity on it. Unity is essential to success. Without unity, whatever you're trying to do with more than one person towards a common goal will fail. It will shipwreck. It will be ruined. Now listen to what Jesus said about the necessity of unity. He said any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Now just take kingdom out and put any home divided against itself, any business divided against itself, any church divided against itself, any denomination divided against itself. Any business enterprise divided against itself, no matter what it is, will be ruined if it's divided against itself. And a house divided against itself will fall. If you're married today and your spouse is next to you, look at him or her and say, I know that's right. I hope you know that's right. So if, if you've got a house, if you've got a family, it can't be divided against itself or it will be ruined and it will fall. When God looked at the builders of the Tower of Babel, it's an amazing thing that God says about them. Now, it was an evil enterprise. What they were doing was wicked. It was evil. It was wrong. It was an act of arrogance and an act of man exalting man. But listen to what God says about them when God looked down. It says, quote, If as one people speaking the same language, catch those phrases, one people, unified, speaking the same language, headed towards the same goal, unified in the same effort. If they have begun to do this, listen to what God says, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible. Now, let me just paraphrase that for you. If you have unity, very little is impossible for you. Put another way, there is incredible power in unity. If you're of one heart, one mind, one goal, one target, and you're unified, chances are you're going to get there. And God knew it. And that's why God went down and confounded their languages. He had to bring disunity to destroy it. So he brought disunity. They could no longer understand each other. And when they couldn't be unified, it was destroyed. So here's an incredible principle. Even in an evil undertaking, unity is necessary to success, even if it's evil. Now, let's talk about the church for a moment in unity. Unity is absolutely necessary and a necessity for the growth and life of a church. Without unity, a church is dead. Without unity, it's over with. Without unity, you can write Ichabod over the door. Continued blessing, indeed, the commanded blessing, is dependent on unity 
in the house. What a powerful principle. Now, if I were Satan, if I were Satan and I was looking at something that was growing to the glory of God, if I were looking at something that was threatening my kingdom, my satanic assignments, my demonic strongholds, what I have built, what I have gone after, what I am doing, my evil plans, if I see something growing, a work for God that is a threat to that, I am going to target the unity of that thing. I'm going to go after the unity. I'm going to do everything I can to sow suspicion, to sow discord, to sow mistrust, to sow petty grievances, to sow criticisms, gossip, misunderstanding, arguments, and fights. I'm going to get them divided. Divide and conquer is Satan's philosophy. Divide and conquer in a marriage. Divide and conquer in a ministry. Divide and conquer between friendships. Divide and conquer. Divide and destroy. Divide and ruin. Satan hates unity. So if he hates it, I love it. Now let me tell you why it's so important that we walk in unity. If we're going to accomplish anything for Jesus, we're going to have to be together in unity. And I've got a dream for 2010. My dream is that we walk in powerful unity. And my prayer last night to the Lord, my prayer all the time is, Lord Jesus, make Turning Point a highly influential church for Jesus Christ. And for that to happen, we're going to have to walk in unity. We're called to unity. Now, let me tell you why we got to walk in unity. Because we're not going to find a support system anywhere else because the world hates you and me. They hate the church. More and more and more, there is antipathy and hostility towards the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the United States of America. And if we're not unified and if we're not in the same foxhole together and fighting for one another instead of against one another, who's going to do it for us? Who's going to get it done? Nobody. We got to walk in unity. If we don't support each other in the fight, nobody else is going to. Now, the psalmist in Psalms 133 gives us two incredible pictures of unity, uh, just, just panoramic pictures, and I want us to catch what he was saying. Two illustrations on the way unity works. The first one is, he said, unity is like the anointing oil that is poured on Aaron's head. Now, Aaron was the high priest that's poured on Aaron's head. It runs down his beard, and then it flows onto his garments. Now, he uses the illustration of oil. Now, what did oil mean when the psalmist wrote this in Psalms 133? What did oil mean in that day? Oil was a sign of blessing, prosperity, protection, joy, consecration, and health. Oil was also used for perfume. Now, get the idea here. Unity, unity is blessing, prosperity. It brings joy. It brings consecration. It brings protection. It brings health. And it sends forth a fragrance to a skeptical world. Catch this beautiful picture now of anointing oil that flows. Now notice in his analogy, the joy and the harmony that we experience as the body of Christ, when we come together in unity in the church, it comes from above, from the head the head of the church, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it flows downward. And as it flows downward from the head, this unity, this blessing, this oil, this consecration, this protection, this health, as it flows downward, 
It becomes a fragrance to a skeptical world watching the church. That's why Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Because love brings unity. And unity is an undeniable testimony to the power of God and the presence of God on a place. Now, the second analogy was the dew flowing from Mount Hermon, flowing down Mount Hermon, the dew of the morning. Mount Hermon is located, it just happens to be, in a land of very little rain. So the dew on this mountain is what nourishes the soil and makes crops grow. Now, if you were to get up, as a matter of fact, that's why the area around Mount Hermon is called the Fertile Crescent because it's fertile from the water that flows from the dew that flows down Mount Hermon. In the early morning, if you were standing in front of Mount Hermon looking at it, during that brief time when the sun is about to come up, right before it comes up, but it's beginning to get light, and you were looking at that mountain, you would not be able to see the top of the mountain because it's shrouded in a white, misty cloud that is filled with moisture, and it drops dew all over the top of that mountain. And then as it gathers, it begins to flow down off the mountain, follows the Jordan River down the valley, and waters the land of Israel. Now that's the picture of unity. The picture painted by Scripture here is the ability to dwell together comes from above, from the Father. He's like the top of that mountain where the dew is gathered. And from the Father, from the head, the water flows down. And the water of God's anointing and consecration and blessing waters His church. And then the church begins to grow the fruit of the Spirit. So where there is unity, there is oil flowing from the Father and water of life flowing from the Father. And it flows down upon that people walking together in unity. Now, when you're walking in unity, you don't have to say, oh, God, bless us, bless us, bless us. God beats you to the punch. For it says where there's unity, God commands the blessing. He commands the blessing. Can you imagine the father looking down and saying, wow, they're, looking, they're walking in unity. They're not fighting. They're loving one another. They're not gossiping against each other, slandering each other. They're walking in unity. So be blessed. And the oil begins to flow, and it flows from the head down. Oh, what a powerful thing to walk together in unity. What a powerful thing to live in unity uh, among God's people. And this is what a mature church has got to do in the last days. We cannot afford to fight with one another, turn on each other, backstab each other. We cannot do it. As we walk in unity, God's going to command the blessing. And where God is commanding the blessing, let me tell you what, satanic assignments are canceled right and left, hither, thither, and yon. They are canceled by God commanding the blessing. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about unity, and let me just tell you what unity is not. Here's what it is not. It is not always agreeing on everything. How many of you that are married can say amen? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Unity doesn't mean that you agree on everything because you're never going to agree on everything because everybody in here is different like snowflakes. Every one of you are different. Unity is not a particular way of worship. It doesn't mean we've all got to worship the same, walk the same, talk the same, act the same, dress the same, be the same. That's not unity. You don't get unity that way. What you got there is people who are in lockstep with one another. You've got conformity, but you can have conformity without having unity. 
Unity is not the name on a sign, Baptist, Methodist, that if I got a name on the sign and we're all in here agreeing that, yes, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm a Presbyterian, that brings unity. Trust me, you can have a name on a sign and be in the house and not be in unity. That's why we're non-denominational or interdenominational. If I were to ask every denomination known to man to stand up in here today, we've got them all. We are a rainbow. We are a we are a mix. We are a melting pot. We got Baptists. We got Methodists. We got Presbyterians. We got Pentecostals. We got heathen. We got pagan. We've got it all. It's all in the house. And guess what? We all worship together. We all getting along together because our unity is not based on denomination. Unity is not based on perfectly agreeing on all doctrinal points. Uh-uh. Unity is never achieved by perfectly agreeing on every single point of doctrine, every solitary issue in life. Let me just inform you today, it's never going to happen in the church. Never is the church going to totally agree on everything. Now, real important, let me tell you about the doctrinal issue. When it comes to doctrine, that is what we believe the Bible teaches about particular issues in life or about God. When it comes to doctrine... We must agree on the essentials, first of all. Now, if I'm going to be in unity with you and walk with you and fellowship with you and, and um, run around with you and, and get to know you and, and have real spiritual fellowship with you, we are going to have to agree on the essentials. And here's the essentials, the blood of Jesus. If you come up to me and say, well, I think there's you know, 20 different ways to God, uh, I, I don't have unity with you there. We're going we're gonna to lose some unity right there. So we got to agree on the essentials, the blood of Jesus, heaven and hell, the certainty of judgment. On those things, we must have agreement to have unity. Are you with me? But now, we can agree to disagree on the non-essentials, like denominational affiliation, or how to wear your hair, or whether or not you believe in tongues, I'm going to say, or whether or not you believe in tongues, or whether or not you believe in speaking in tongues. See, if you come up to me and say, well, I just don't think tongues are for today, but you're a blood-washed child of God, I can fellowship with you. I just won't speak in tongues around you because I don't want to scare you. <laughs> I just heard somebody say, does he speak in tongues? That's another service and another message for another day. I don't want to break the unity here right now. But, but, see, we can agree to disagree on the non-essentials. I don't have to agree with... I, listen, I get mail from Baptists. I get mail from Methodists who listen to the radio show. We had a Baptist church, a really tight, laced, strict Baptist church wrote me and said, we listened to your whole series on the Holy Spirit on the radio. We, we uh, have written it all down. We got the tapes, and now we've made a curriculum in our own church from that series on the Holy Spirit, and I say, amen. Listen, if you're washed in the blood, you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that there's not another way to heaven but through him, and you love my Lord, that's all I need to know. I can walk with you, talk with you, fellowship with you. We can agree together. See, because here's what unity comes from. It doesn't come from perfect agreement on non-essentials. It comes from this verse. There is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, and one God and Father. Didn't, listen, listen to all those ones. One body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, God and Father. Now, that means that anybody who has put their faith in Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, we got the same faith, same hope, same Lord, same God, same Father. So that's what my unity is based on. That's why I can fellowship with you and you with me. Our unity is based on oneness of faith. If we have like faith in the Son of God, we are one. We are family. I hope you get that. Let me inform you. Jesus never I don't believe never intended denominations. They divide. Well, that went over like a lead balloon, didn't it? And I'm not saying they don't do good things, but I'm saying, as a matter of fact, the day that we're living in right now, there's a whole lot of pastors of denominations who are realizing, hey, it's time to cross-pollinate. It's time to get out there and get to know one another and love one another and... And I'm not talking about stupid pluralism where we accept anything and everything. I'm talking about we must agree on the essentials, but we can agree to disagree on the non-essentials and get along. Now, a second truth about unity is this. Unity is a responsibility of every member. Now, I want you to catch this. Listen to this verse again, Ephesians 4, 3. Be eager, you church people. He's talking to the church members in Ephesus. He says, be eager, And work hard to protect the harmony and the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's talking to a church family in Ephesus. He says to every single person that named the name of Christ, you be eager, you work hard, you protect. What? The harmony and the unity of of the Spirit, because if that is destroyed, it's over with. Ichabod is over the door. Now, I hear something in that verse. Every member is a doorkeeper in the house of God. Now, we've got greeters here. We've got greeters that are at every door. And when you came walking in, probably one of the reasons you became a part of this church because you felt so greeted, felt so loved. And those greeters stand at the doors, and they greet you as you come in. They shake your hand. Now, keep that thought in mind and think of a protector standing at the door. Think of a doorkeeper or a gatekeeper standing at that door. Figuratively speaking, here's what the Bible is saying. Every one of us are gatekeepers, doorkeepers, protectors of the house of God. And what are we to protect against? He says unity. He said you are to protect and guard the unity so that if discord begins to come in, You as a protector are on that and saying this can't continue in the house of God. Listen to this verse out of Romans 16, verse 17. Paul says, quote, one final word of counsel, friends. Keep a sharp eye out for those who take bits and pieces of the teaching that you learned and then use them to cause trouble, bringing division. Avoid those people. Now, let me just pluck a phrase out of that verse. Keep a sharp eye out. That's you. You are to keep a sharp eye out. For what? For people 
who come in and begin to sow discord. Because when the unity is broken, there's nothing left but trouble and heartache and pain and people leaving church and never returning because of what they've seen the church do. Some of you, it's a miracle that you're even back in church because of what happened to you somewhere back there in your experience with church. Keep a sharp eye out. That means every believer is called to help protect his church from Satan's attacks in the area of discord and disunity. Every one of us, we are gatekeepers, doorkeepers, protectors, every one of you. Let me give you an illustration. When the human body is invaded by an infection, and keep in mind when God said in Romans 1, he said, I've made the things you can see to teach you about things you cannot see. Now, here's something you can see to teach us about the spiritual world that we cannot see. When the human body is invaded by an infection, it responds with an attack on the invader by white blood cells from the immune system. It's an amazing body that God created. No wonder David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Because look at this. As soon as an infection, a foreign invader gets in your body, white blood cells, da 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 stand to attention and rush to the area of trouble. These white blood cells will seek out and destroy the invading pathogens and will go so far as to die in their fight against the infection threatening your body. This week, many of you, your body healed itself because white blood cells went to the source of trouble and fought and battled against the source of trouble until your body was whole, healthy, strong, vital, and capable of functioning well. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. And according to the Bible, a healthy body of believers will recognize and drive out an infection that is threatening the health of the body. Here's the question, are you a white blood cell? Because there's another kind, they're called cancer cells. What's a cancer cell? It is a cell that has gone into rebellion against the body. It goes into rebellion and it begins to reproduce itself, and that's how people die of cancer, because that cell is never content to be alone. It reproduces itself until the whole body is destroyed. And you are either a white blood cell or a cancer cell. See, a white blood cell says disunity and discord. Can't leave that here. Cannot leave that here. That's not right. It's hurting the the health of my body. Cancer cell says I want to hurt the health of my body. So unity is every member's responsibility. That means if I see discord happening, I say, can we pray about this? Because discord doesn't need to be in the house of God. It's not of God. Unity is what needs to be here. Not that we agree on everything, like I said, but we have one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one hope, one God, one Father. And so we're in unity. So if something is causing disunity and offenses in the body of Christ, then it is up to the individual members to heal it, to look at it and mark it. And if somebody is sowing discord and won't stop, the Bible says, remove yourself from them. Well, that's not very loving, Pastor Jeff. Yes, that is love. Because how are they ever going to know they're really doing wrong unless you exit and let them know? Anybody hearing me today? 
Talk about unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ. Now, a third truth about unity is it's okay to have differences. It's okay to have differences. Chill. It's okay to have differences. Having differences is a part of being human. It's the way God made us. Have you ever noticed that? If you're married, you've been married 24 hours and realized you've got differences. Anybody in here married that hadn't realized that, that yet? Because if you say, I'm married and haven't realized that we've got differences, I don't believe you're married. See, differences aren't the problem. It's how we handle the differences in a marriage or in the body of Christ that is the problem. Husbands and wives have differences, but soon, if they want to survive, they learn to find common ground in the midst of those differences and get along together. And if they don't, that marriage is in deep trouble. As a matter of fact, if they don't learn to work out their differences, they're going to experience a series of deals. And let me tell you what those deals are. When they first get married, it's ideal. Hallelujah. Every time you see that person, you hear the hallelujah chorus. You hear the angels playing their harps in heaven. You wonder how it took you so long to find them, and you just know your love is going to carry you through every problem. And how in the world could there be such a person on earth? And it's ideal, and you can't imagine being with anybody else. But then down the road, some disagreements pop up, and you have an ordeal. Well, I wasn't expecting this. I didn't know this was going to I, I don't know where this came from. It's the devil. You bind, you loose, you fast, you pray, and you still have disagreements. You name it, claim it, you blab it, you grab it, you do everything in the world to stop the differences, but you realize this person doesn't think like me. I don't think like them. They've got ways that I don't have, and I've got ways they don't have. We are two different human beings. Welcome to reality. But see, if you don't learn to work out those differences and come to grips with that, come to grips with that, a little further down the road, you start thinking, you got a raw deal. I got a raw deal. Man, I must have missed God. How in the world did I end up in this situation? I got a raw deal. And you start mulling over. You go from ideal to ordeal to raw deal. You start thinking, how in the world did this happen to me? And I obviously miss God. And if you dwell on that long enough, you're going to decide it's time for a new deal. And you're going to drag God into it and say, God's talking to me. I need to go find a new deal. Let me tell you something. We've got to realize that when ideal gives way to an ordeal, it's time to get real and work through the trouble with God's help because God can help you. I want you to know when you give up, God takes over. And, and, and listen, God wants us to learn to work through problems. Here's why. Because what I've just described to you, the church is no different. You, you come to a church and you say, it's ideal. Oh, I'm telling you, they worship like you cannot believe. And that preacher does okay too. And boy, there's so many nice people there. I feel so welcome. Where has this church been all my life? I can't tell you how many people have come up to me, patted me on the back and say, I prayed for this church my whole life. And three months later, they're gone. Matter of fact, Kathy and I have learned if they take us out to supper, uh, just to get just to get with us, we've realized that sometimes it's the Last Supper. <laughs> we'll drive away, going, was that just a supper or was that a Last Supper? <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> just to let you know a little secret of the trade there. All right. 
But you first go to that church and it's ideal. Oh, my, look at this. What a wonderful church. But down the road, somebody offends you. Or you find out the pastor is human, just like you. Or you don't like some decision that's made. I've read of churches that split down the middle over the color of a carpet. The color of carpet in a sanctuary. You don't like some decision that's made. Something rubs you wrong. Something grates on you. And you have an ordeal. And that ordeal begins to work on you. And as time goes on, the person that offended you doesn't make it right to your satisfaction. And you can't believe that somebody who is a Christian does not actually make something right. Can I tell you, wake up, friend. Sometimes Christians don't act like Christians. Get over it. Get over it. And you can even get it over coming in here and feeling like you've got to give them the look. The look. The look says, I know, you know, I know, you're not walking in the Word, and you know I'm praying God zaps you. <laughs> and so you give them the look when you walk in the foyer or when you leave the foyer. Every time you lock eyes, uh-huh, I got your number. Or Sister Jane and Brother John aren't talking to you anymore. They're in a clique, and that clique has gone so far as to not include you. Now the bloom is off the rose, and you're starting to think you got a raw deal when you came into that church. And before long, you start looking for a new deal. The only problem is when you go to the new deal, you take you with you. <laughs> and the same you that had a problem in the old one is going to have a problem in the new one until you leave right. Here's the real deal. Can I give you a newsflash today? There are no perfect churches. You know why? Because you're there. You're there. The church is always going to have things wrong in it because people are involved. It's like one preacher said, the only thing wrong with ministry is people. It wasn't me. I'm quoting a preacher. I love being in church. really do. But because there's people involved, there's always going to be problems, and there's always going to be poo-poo. Always. Until then, let me tell you, the only perfect church you're ever going to find is in heaven after you die. And you know why it's perfect? Because you died. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> it's perfect because you died. And you know why it's perfect? Because everybody up there died. There's no more flesh to mess things up. But until you die and go to heaven where there will be perfect church, get ready to forgive, overlook faults, walk in mercy, agree to disagree while maintaining unity. Now listen to what Paul said. He wrote this to church people. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Get rid of all bitterness Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Harsh words are words sheathed like a dagger. Harsh words are aimed at the heart. Harsh words are intended 
to bring pain. Get rid of it, he says, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, here's what I want you to do, church family. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why should I? Because God through Christ has forgiven you. How many people wanted to kill you somewhere along the way? If you realize that if you die today, there's a few people who would not feel real bad about that? Because we all have people that don't like us, people that we've hurt who have hurt us. But guess what? He says, God through Christ has forgiven you. And you had faults, and you've had shortcomings, and you have unnecessarily hurt people just like I have. If we stick together when there are problems and work them out in a spirit of peace and love, unity is maintained and the enemy is defeated. See, I don't, have to, I don't even have to like you to love you. You can love people without liking them. Don't look at your spouse. Look up here at me. <laughs> don't look at your spouse. <laughs> hey, baby, that's a thought. You don't have to like someone to love them. We are as different as snowflakes here today. What you like, I don't like. What I like, you may not like. Here's what I told the first service. I can't imagine some people who like going to a racetrack and watching cars go around in circles and never get anywhere. And you've got to put on earmuffs to even stand the experience. And everybody there is drunk or getting there. And some people park their mobile homes on the parking lot so they can be there in time to get a good seat to watch cars go around in circles, hours on end, and never get anywhere. I cannot imagine liking that, but some of you do. Stand up if you do. I want to see you. Some of you do. You like that, going around. I can't stand the thought of watching something go around in endless circles and never get anywhere. I want to see them get somewhere. I want to see them do something, but it's and never get anywhere. God bless you if you like that. I don't like that, but I can love you. I can love you. And if you do have that obsession, I want to meet you afterwards. I really do believe it's a demon spirit. No, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We don't have to agree on the non-essentials. But we do have to love one another. You're a white blood cell. And I want you to remember that the next time you hear gossip or slander or discord, you're a white blood cell. You're not a cancer cell. Amen? Let's stand together, can we? You know, I'm believing God to give us, like I said, a very influential church for Jesus. I want to affect people for Jesus. Our culture is forsaking the Lord Jesus because they don't really know about him. Tomorrow morning, we begin at 6 in the morning on KDKR, 30 minutes in rush hour traffic, and then at 6 again at night, 30 minutes in rush hour traffic. We're going to be on an hour a day in rush hour traffic, and we're going to be reaching people all over this Metroplex when they're stuck in traffic with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the Word of God. I'll tell you an amazing story how we're getting out there. And you know, when I'm on the radio, you're there with me. If you weren't here 
and giving to this work, there'd be no way we'd be on the radio. So every person that's reached, we did it as a team. Kathy and I were at Cracker Barrel last Sunday where all good things happen. Uh, Next to Jesus, I like Cracker Barrel. (laughs) I like that, those vegetables. I just like Cracker Barrel. And if you don't like it, love me anyway. I don't care if you don't like it. I heard somebody go, well, he doesn't, he likes Cracker Barrel. My Lord, that's worse than racing. I just like Cracker Barrel. Now, we were finished and we were coming out and we were in a line and they have the best toothpicks on God's green earth. That's one of the reasons I like Cracker Barrel. We buy Cracker Barrel toothpicks and take them home. They're just great toothpicks, and I have a habit of chewing on toothpicks. Do you still love me? Okay. Standing in the line, and I didn't see my precious little box there of, of toothpicks that I wanted. So I just said like this, um, where's the toothpicks? Well, all of a sudden, this woman I've never seen before steps out the, the waiting line and reaches over somewhere that I couldn't see and grabbed the big thing of toothpicks and handed me the whole deal. And then she said, are you a preacher? <laughs> now I started thinking, did I say, Lord Jesus, where's the toothpicks? <laughs> I couldn't remember what I said. I said, um, yes, I am. She said, is your name Dr. Jeff? Weir Wiki, something like that, something like that. And I said, that's close enough. She said, I said, how do you know? She said, I listen to you on the radio. And when I heard you ask for toothpicks, I knew that voice. There you go. Isn't that amazing? So I told Kathy, I'm going to have to quit cussing. I'm kidding. Now watch this. I thought when I went walking out of there, look how they listen. Because to ask for a toothpick, oh, I know that voice. So we together are reaching people you know nothing about, and I know nothing about. But we're going to have to walk in unity. Unity on the essentials, unity on the non-essentials loving one another. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this precious congregation and Lord, for what you're doing in this house. And I pray, help us to walk in unity. And I want us to have a prayer together. Please, as little movement as possible, we're going to pray. And I want you to think about 2010 and all the chances you're going to have to be a white blood cell be a protector of the unity of the house. And I pray for unity over your home, over your marriage, with you and your children. I pray for unity for you. Now let's just have a prayer of the Lord. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I'm a white blood cell. I'm not a cancer cell. Help me to be a protector of the house to walk in unity. Now remain bowed a moment. Some of you need a church home. You're visiting around. You're praying, Lord, where are we to be? And the Lord's planting you right here. So how do I know that? You know it by you have a peace here. You're fed here. It feels like home here. 
say, well, why do I need to make it official? Here's why. The Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. Planted. That means you're committed to a place. You've got roots in a place. Roots. So as soon as we dismiss, I'm going to stand right down here in the front. And I want you, dad, you, mom, to get the family and just come down. If God is giving you a piece here, say, this is our church home and we want to join today. If you're a single, just come down and say, today's my day. I want to get planted in the house of the Lord. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to stand right here at the front. Now, Kathy has no announcements today. And that's a miracle. Isn't that right, Kathy? So uh, Wednesday night, don't forget how we got the book. It's going to establish you in the Word of God. Let's count to three and shout unity in the house. All right? And that's going to be our watchword for 2010. Are you ready? One. Count with me. Two. Three. Unity in the house.